the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. Following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. When the church gathered for worship, you could say, really, I guess one problem is the worship service. When the church gathered for worship, the leaders were not leading in prayer and having a concern for the lost people. They had an elitist type mentality and so forth. And then he says, there's a problem with your women. Your women are coming dressed inappropriately. They're drawing attention to themselves and flaunting not only their wealth, but they're flaunting their attractiveness. And therefore, they are distracting people in the worship service. But the heart of the problem is chapter 3. That is the heart of the problem. And that's the problem with leadership unqualified leaders, and that's why he addresses this issue in chapter 3. Now watch this. Timothy's list of qualifications have a different purpose than the one sent to Titus. Timothy's job is not primarily to appoint new elders, though I suppose that we could say that out of this list, obviously, some new leadership would have guidelines to be appointed. But primarily, it is to give the church a standard by which she could evaluate the present leadership that she had. As we learned in yesterday's verse-by-verse broadcast, Timothy was Paul's representative to the church in Ephesus. The church leaders were teaching heretical, false, and corrupt teachings. They were drawing away disciples into themselves. They were in it for the money. They were teaching a kind of ascetic legalism. They were proud, arrogant, and corrupt. The church was falling apart, and so Paul told Timothy he was leaving him at Ephesus to correct the leadership of the church. This is Verse by Verse, and today our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, will continue in our series, God's Standard for Church Leadership. Last time, Pastor Steve was comparing the difference between what Titus was instructed to do in Crete and what Timothy was instructed to do in Ephesus. So here is Pastor Steve to continue with today's lesson. So these men were teaching heretical things, false things, corrupt things. They were drawing away disciples unto themselves. They were in it for the money. They were teaching a kind of ascetic legalism. They were proud. They were arrogant. They were corrupt. The church was going down the tubes and Paul's heart is breaking in. So he says, Timothy, I'm leaving you there not for the same reason that I've left Titus at Crete. Titus's job with the leadership is to appoint leaders. Your job is to correct the leadership. And many people never realize this. And so they approach 1 Timothy from the standpoint that it is a manual for church government. It is not. That's not even the question here. Paul's not giving a manual. Now, this is how the church ought to be governed. Now, we can deduce things from that, and we can get things from that. 
There's no question about it. But the whole letter is polemic. That is that it's a problematic letter. And everything Paul writes in this letter is to correct what was going on. In fact, he says in chapter 3, after he deals with the leadership, he says this in verse 14 and 15, which probably tells us the overall purpose and theme of the book. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed... I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. He's not speaking here about when you come to church, this is how you behave. Like when you walk through the doors, you know, you're quiet. He's not talking about that. He's saying, I want you to understand how God's family is to conduct themselves. Obviously, they didn't know how to conduct themselves. And that's really the theme of 1 Timothy, conduct of the household of God. Now, in chapter 2, he begins to deal with these problems. Chapter 1 is just sort of an introduction where he says, Timothy, hang in there. Don't leave. Don't go AWOL. Hang in there. Here's the situation. He kind of brings everything to an encouragement for Timothy as a young man facing a difficult situation not to run away. When he gets to chapter 2, he begins to deal with two problems in the church. When the church gathered for worship, you could say, really, I guess one problem is the worship service. When the church gathered for worship, the leaders were not leading in prayer and having a concern for the lost people. They had an elitist-type mentality and so forth. And then he says, there's a problem with your women. Your women are coming dressed inappropriately. They're drawing attention to themselves and flaunting not only their wealth, but they're flaunting their attractiveness, and therefore they are distracting people in the worship service. But the heart of the problem is chapter 3. That is the heart of the problem, and that's the problem with leadership, unqualified leaders, and that's why he addresses this issue in chapter 3. Now watch this. Timothy's list of qualifications have a different purpose than the one sent to Titus. Timothy's job is not primarily to appoint new elders, though I suppose that we could say that out of this list, obviously, some new leadership would have guidelines to be appointed. But primarily, it is to give the church a standard by which she could evaluate the present leadership that she had. In other words, it is a corrective list. Timothy's letter from Paul would be read by Timothy to the church and would give them an authoritative standard by which to evaluate the men who are already leading the church. That is far different than what Titus is doing. Titus is really a church planter. Timothy is really not a church planter in the truest sense of the word. He is an apostolic representative to get a church back on the track because it's gone off the beaten track. It has gone away from the divine standard and pattern. So understand that. Understand that Timothy is not really a pastor. I've had people say to me, well, Timothy was pastor over all these people. No, he was not a pastor. Timothy is sent to straighten out the pastors. But he is not really a pastor. In fact, if he's anything, he's called an evangelist. Paul says, do the work, Timothy, of an evangelist. The ongoing work, which would lead one strongly to believe that Timothy was an evangelist, not really a pastor in the truest sense of that term. That's why when you come to chapter 5, I'm really just making an introduction to this whole series and whole understanding of chapter 3. It's so vital for us to get this background. When you come to chapter 5, that's why Paul says this, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. In other words, he doesn't want the church to run with this in the wrong direction. 
and begin to form a Gestapo-type mentality that every time there's a problem or they think that they can get an elder out of office, they come and say, aha, I saw him do this or I saw him do that. So he really protects the leadership here. He doesn't want an extremist view and people taking advantage of the accountability that the leadership should have. But he goes on to say, those who continue in sin, he's speaking about the leadership now, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. Verse 22, do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thus share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. In other words, he's not talking about shaking someone's hand. He's talking about laying hands on in the sense of approving someone for leadership when they're not qualified. He said, don't do it too quickly. Watch a person, observe him. Make sure that it's the right man for that kind of responsibility. And so you understand that even these exhortations about discipline of leadership finds its real meaning and root meaning and understanding in really a broad picture of what was taking place at Ephesus. Corrupt leadership, men who were doing horrible things, and there are so many more things that we can go into, but we won't. As we go through the letter, you'll understand. Now, back to 1 Timothy 3. As I said, there's a correctiveness about this whole letter, and that is true in the list of qualifications. The implication being this, that when Paul wrote, for instance, in verse 2, an overseer then must be above reproach, implication being that, Timothy, there are overseers there who are not above reproach. Verse 2, he goes on to say, the husband of one wife. Implication being there were men there who were unfaithful, leaders who were unfaithful to their wife. Temperate. You had men there, implication being who were not temperate, men who were not prudent, men who were not respectable, men who did not open their homes and show love to strangers, men who were not able to teach, and on and on. And so that becomes the very character of this list that Paul has. So I want you to understand that it's very important. This would serve as a guideline for evaluating the present leadership and also for selection of new leadership in the future. Now, specifically, we need to ask ourselves, who are these men? Who are these men that Paul refers to in chapter 3? And I feel that before we can ever really deal with the text, we need to understand this. And the reason we do is because after 2,000 years of a lot of people messing up what God has designed for leadership in the church, we need to straighten out some things and we need to kind of cut through all of the formalism and the clergy laity type thinking that has come upon the church and understand the very simple design that God has for leadership in the church. And so if I were teaching this in the first century, I wouldn't even have to go through this because it was understood. But in our day and age, there's a lot of confusion about God's design for leadership. So let's deal with that. Who are the men that Paul is referring to? What is the office and function of these men? Who does he really deal with? You see, if we just call them church leaders, that could be kind of confusing to people. If we were to take a poll here and say, what is your understanding of a church leader? We would probably come up with myriad of answers, many different answers. To the 20th century Christian, when you say church leader, you could mean a number of different things. For instance, you could mean a bishop, meaning a superintendent over a district or a denomination. You could mean that. If you say a church leader, some people would immediately think of a pastor, or a deacon, or a trustee, or an elder, or an associate pastor, an assistant pastor, a minister, a board, an executive committee. What do we mean by a church leader? It could mean any number of things. 
And everybody has their own separate idea of what leadership means. It depends on usually the church they were raised in or their understanding of what people have told them or what churches they have viewed and observed and so forth. The Bible refers to only two offices in the church, only two. The Bible refers to the office of an overseer and the office of a deacon. And that's what Paul is concerned with in 1 Timothy 3. He's concerned with those two offices. In fact, in verses 1 through 7, he deals with overseers. And in verses 8 through 13, he deals with deacons. Now, some believe, and some good Bible teachers believe, that in verse 11, he is referring to deaconesses. When he says, women likewise must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Some would say that in addition to male deacons, there were female deaconesses. We'll deal with that when we get to it. For what we're understanding now, there are two offices in the church overseers and deacons. These are the only church offices that the New Testament mentions. You'll turn to Philippians chapter 1. You'll see some evidence of that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. The only New Testament letter written to a church that starts off like this. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including The what? Overseers and the deacons. It may say in your Bible, bishops. That is a synonymous term. Overseers or bishops and deacons. Now, I really believe that we have complicated things so much in trying to figure out church leadership that we've really complicated things and made a mess of it. But the New Testament is rather simple in its teaching on leadership for the church. So let's explore a little bit about the simplicity of this approach. Who are the overseers? That's what Paul calls them in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. The Greek word for overseer, and I don't want to just say a Greek word just to let you know the Greek word, but I usually mention the Greek word if it will help you in understanding the concept. It is the Greek word episkopos. We get our English word episcopalian from that, and it's a makeup of two words, epi meaning over and scope to see or to watch. And so you put that together, and it means one who watches over the church. That's what an overseer is. Some translate this bishop, and that's why you have the Episcopalian church, which has a bishop over many other churches, kind of a superintendent called the bishop over a number of other local churches. In fact, one of the past presidents of the Moody Bible Institute, William Colbertson, was the bishop of a very fundamental Episcopalian group called the Reformed Episcopalian Denomination out of Philadelphia. And when he went to Moody, I believe he was dean before he was the president, he had the title of the bishop. And that's the form of government that the Episcopalian church has. And they get that from this term, an episcopos or an overseer or a bishop. He's one who watches over the affairs of the church. And you can see this in 1 Peter chapter 2. It refers to the Lord Jesus as the bishop or overseer of our souls. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 25. For you were constantly straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd. And here it's translated in my Bible, guardian of your souls. But it means the bishop or the overseer, the episcopos. He is the overseer of our souls. He lovingly watches over us. Now, what makes it difficult for us to grasp this concept? I believe in the 20th century, 
is because after the apostles died, the church began to change the idea of a group of equals called overseers. And that was God's pattern and intention. A group of equals called overseers. They began to change that to one man who was over the overseers. And he was called the bishop. Now why that developed, I don't know. I'm not sure, but it developed. And so in our minds, when we think of a bishop, at least when I think of a bishop, I think of a fellow with a big collar up here and he's got a robe and he has a clerical title and so forth. And he is what we would call the official clergy. He is perhaps called the right reverend or whatever the wrong reverend. I don't know, whatever reverend he wants to be called. And so in our minds, when we think of an overseer or a bishop, we have that connotation. But the Bible never intends for us to have that connotation. That's a corruption that took place after the apostles died. In fact, we begin to see that rising in the church in 3 John when John mentions a man by the name of Diotrephes, who he said loved to have first place. In other words, he loved to be prominent. He even went up against John. And John says, when I get there, I'll deal with him. And you see, even at that time, human nature began to seek a type of situation in which one man dominated and ruled the church and others would be under him. But even the term overseer implies that no one but Christ is over the overseers. So New Testament leadership was placed into the hands of men, a plurality of men called overseers in a local church. But you might be thinking, wait a minute. We read in the New Testament about elders. Who are they? And we call our leaders here elders. If the overseers were the ones who had the oversight of the church, then what do the elders do? Well, the overseers and elders are the same group of men. The same group of men. Sometimes the New Testament calls them overseers, and sometimes the New Testament calls them elders. It all depends. It depends what the context is and what the writer wants to emphasize. For instance, back in Acts chapter 20, I want you to turn there. It's very important. This is a critical passage. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It's very important for people to understand this. I'm not sure everybody understands this. In our church, you ought to understand this. It is critical. You say, well, but I'm not an elder. I'm not an overseer. But listen, you have the responsibility of evaluating the elders and the overseer. So you do have a part in it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul says this, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him who? The elders of the church. Okay, so keep in your mind, these men are the elders. But jump down to verse 28 and we read this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers or bishops. So the elders in verse 17 are the same men who are the overseers in verse 28. An elder is an overseer. An overseer is an elder. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint to elders. Titus is left there to appoint elders. But when we get to verse 7, he says, For the overseer must be above reproach. Has he shifted gears at this point? Is he now dealing with overseers and not elders? No. An elder and an overseer are used synonymously. There is no difference between them. You say, well, why would one be used and not the other? Well, because the term elder gives us more insight into the kind of leadership that God has designed for the church. The term elder means older, mature, and it has its derivative somewhat in the Old Testament that there were a group of mature men. There was a council. There were community leaders who protected, who governed and administered justice in Israel called 
elders. But I don't think that the New Testament elders were the same as the Old Testament elders. Remember when Moses was really making himself sick, working so hard, and his father-in-law Jethro said, look, Moses, you can't do this all by yourself. You can't administer all by yourself. You've got to have people under you. Well, the men who came out of the ranks of Israel became a group called the elders of Israel. And you see this concept throughout the Old Testament. That is not to say that it's the same thing as the elders in the New Testament. They were different. They reported to a man. They reported to Moses in that case and Joshua. The elders in the New Testament report to one person, and that is Christ himself. But at least the concept of the term older and mature is derived from the Old Testament. These were men who gave in the Old Testament counsel to even kings and to prophets. So they were noted for their wisdom, for their wise counsel, for their maturity. In the New Testament, it refers to a man who evidence spiritual maturity. In the Old Testament, there is no age limit given. And in the New Testament, there is no age limit given. It just is referring to men who, by evidence of their walk, evidence of spiritual maturity. And so the term elder, when it's used, emphasizes the character of these men. Mature, solid, wise. The term overseer emphasizes the function of those who lead. They are to watch over the church. And so the writers will use these terms emphasizing something else. Elders used character. Overseers used function. You say, but wait a minute, where does the word pastor come in? I mean, you are a pastor, right? I mean, your title says pastor teacher. And, and some people go, pastor, where does that come in? A pastor is a shepherd. The Greek word really should be translated shepherd. The only time it's translated pastor, which confuses people, is in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I don't know why it was translated that way. It is literally shepherd. Poimeno is shepherd. Are pastors different than elders and overseers? Absolutely not. And I think this is where most of us would have confusion. Absolutely not. Most churches would say yes. Most churches would say yes. And their leadership board would consist of a pastor over the elders. Sort of like you'd have a president. I would be considered the president. And then there would be a board of vice presidents. That is not New Testament leadership. That is not what the New Testament teaches. Some people view the pastor as the official ordained professional clergy and the others would be called lay elders. The Bible doesn't even use the term laity. It doesn't use the term clergy. Those things are attached over the years. Sometimes this man is called the senior pastor, implying that he is over the others. But the New Testament does not teach that. It does not teach that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we know that these men are called elders. But in verse 28 of that same chapter, not only does Paul say, God has given you oversight, he says, shepherd the flock. So you put that together, the elder is an overseer who's also a pastor. These were the pastors of the church. It'd be kind of silly for Paul to write to the Philippians and say, I'm writing to the whole church and also the overseers and the deacons and to forget the pastors. Wouldn't that be absurd? Reason being, he didn't forget the pastors. The overseers are the pastors. So you have all of this coming together. In 1 Peter, let me just show you one other passage of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Peter says, Therefore I exhort the elders, plural, among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. Watch this. He says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God. Why? Because the elders are also the pastors. 
Sometimes the men are called elders, emphasizing their character. Sometimes they're called overseers, emphasizing what they do. They watch over the church. Sometimes they're called pastors, emphasizing the ministry of feeding and protecting the flock. So the New Testament is very clear. It's really not left up to debate. It's very clear. Pastors, elders, overseers are all the same, emphasizing various aspects of leadership in the church. I am a pastor, which means that I lead, I feed, I protect, I care for the flock. I am an elder, which means I have some measure of spiritual maturity. I am an overseer, which means I watch over the affairs of the church. But I don't do this independent of the other men called elders, overseers, and pastors. We share the responsibility. We share the leadership. I am not over them in any way. I am not the president and they the vice presidents or the junior executives. That's not the way it works. It's not the New Testament teaching on that. Everywhere in the New Testament scriptures refers to an elder, refers to them as a group, as a plural, multiple type of situation. The only time it does not is when a man is referring to himself as an elder. For instance, John might say, John the elder. Or Peter says, I'm writing to the elders as a fellow elder. Obviously, he's not going to say as a fellow elders. But when the Bible refers to leadership, it refers to it in a plural sense. All through the book of Acts, Paul is starting and founding and nurturing churches that he ordains elders. We are coming to the end of our time on today's verse-by-verse broadcast. But before we go, I would like to highlight some things that came up in today's program. Pastor Steve talked about different types of church leadership that are not found in the Bible, but are very prevalent in churches today. Whether you agree with Pastor Steve about that or not, let me encourage you to hang in there and listen to Pastor Steve as he walks us through biblical church leadership. Having listened to Pastor Steve many times myself, I have found that he always teaches what the Bible says. He will carefully explain a passage until it is clearly presented. So please join us next time on Verse by Verse as we continue to talk about biblical church leadership and why that is important to us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.